Luke 2, 8 through 20. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen, as it had been told to them. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. I am Vincent Hoppe. I'm the pastor here at Grace and Peace Church. It is a pleasure to have you with us. Thank you, Peter. If I haven't met you, I'd like to meet you, I'd like to get to know you. Uh, I don't, we could exchange cookie recipes or whether or not eggnog is, is good. And so those are some of the discussions. But Grace and Peace exists here because we are concerned about the healing for the broken places and for people who've experienced brokenness. We know that the gospel is good news, but it is good news especially to those who need it, who cherish it, who look for it, who seek it, and who feel it in their bones that they need to be restored. That's who good news is for. And good news comes in our text to shepherds today. But Imagine you had a very important news to share. Maybe imagine that you are advising a candidate who's running for, he's got to announce he's going to be president. He wants to be president or she wants to be president. So you're an advisor to them. So how would you advise them to share it? Would you tell them, you know, you need to tweet it? You need a short Instagram little video story? Do you TikTok it? I'm sure you'll make sure that you have the right filter, that you're correct, that you have use correct grammar, unless you're trying your best to use hip words like yeet or the phrase can't even. You know, you make sure your hair is together, you make sure that the candidate uh, doesn't have dark spots under their eyes, and then you announce it to the world, and you make sure that the social media influencers are lo- logged on and that they will see it. You put it at the perfect time when everyone is off work and they could finally look at their phones so that they can all retweet it or you show up at your favorite news news agency and you say hey I want to announce my presidency and you do it in front of important people who will continue to push your agenda and make you popular and get it done but that isn't what God does he shows up to shepherds and we need to figure out why. Uh, case in point to continue to illustrate this in September 26 on September 26 1960 in, two, in in Chicago two presidential candidates took the stage behind cameras for the first time. Uh, this was the first televised presidential debate. 
First, there was the upstart, young, charismatic leader who lacked experience, wisdom, and knowledge. He was good-looking but fared terribly in the radio debates. This is John Fitzgerald Kennedy. The second was a senior leader. He was vice president, had mounds of experience, and was continuously wiping the floor with his opponent's youth on the radio. And all that changed in one night. Vice President Nixon that night had just gotten out of the hospital after a major bout of the flu. He had lost 20 pounds and on his way to the studio he banged his knee while getting out of the car, exacerbating a limp and so that made him stationary right behind the podium whereas his competitor ended up walking around, showed charisma, did not sweat. Richard Nixon would sweat profusely on camera. And all in that one night, you see the immediate flip. Undecided voters finally decided who they were going to vote for. And it wasn't the insecure, sweating guy who, who, you know, everything was eclipsed. The appearances eclipsed the truth. The appearances eclipsed the truth. People voted with their eyes, and our world is very similar today. You know, we don't want to hear or listen to people on the margins, people who don't appear to be worthy. We want to have a TED Talk from someone who's got it together. We want to make sure that this person is educated, that he's got all his credentials in a row. And what this has done is has conditioned us to be people who are always trying to live up to that standard. If people are going to listen to us, if we're a person worthy of listening to, then we have to have it together. We have to be good looking on our Instagram. We have to be just funny enough. We have to communicate just right. Not only that, our family has to be put in order. We feel insecure and incompetent every time our child does something ridiculous. We're like, what is wrong with you? You're messing up with my my image, my visage. And so we always want people to hear us. So the default mode of our lives is to hide our less honorable parts. To always look high-functioning to be a great achiever, to appear to have it together, to always show our best side. But this story here in Luke tells us, and it helps peel off this self-help band-aid to encourage us toward a sober vision of ourselves. And guess what the sober vision is? It's not very pretty, is it? The sober vision is that we don't have it together. That we're broken. That we limp on in life that we need help, that we need a rescuer. And so the question before us, to whom is the gospel good news? It is the people who are just experiencing bad news all the time. It's good news to those who need good news. It is good news to those who are needy. You see, if you see religion as just kind of a self-help band-aid, allowing me to get my marriage together so that I appear good, allowing me to do this or that so that I look good, you're just putting a band-aid on it. You're just putting President Kennedy on it. I'm not saying President Kennedy was a bad president. Don't hear what I'm not saying. But we can cover it up because people will judge with their eyes over substance, and that's important. And much of a Christmas story is not treasured. It's not impactful because we trust more in appearance than the message. You see, 
Like a presidential candidate, we think that God would come to us because we're more important, that we've got it together, that we would be key cogs in his kingdom because we have something to offer. We have great talents, great worth. We've got everything together. Rather, the truth of the gospel is that he comes to the needy. He comes to the marginalized. He comes to shepherds. He comes to a single mom at this point. That's who he comes to. When we believe that we need to dress up the message of the gospel with good efforts or our morality, that he needs some help in order for it to be heard, we betray the message of the gospel. When we think that we should hide our sin, our brokenness, our depression, or just pray it away, we betray the truth of the gospel. This here, this place, grace and peace, the truth should come out. This should be a place where if you struggle and wrestle with feeling unnoticed, feeling unimportant, where you have sinned and you've messed up and you've got guilt and you've got shame, this is not a place to hide. Someone has said, the only thing you need when you come to Jesus is need. Are you needy? In all those areas where we feel depressed, broken, hurt, when we're crying out into our pillows for help, it is just an indication that we all need the gospel badly. We need Jesus. We need the incarnation you see, I'm not sure that the gospel would have gone viral in our environment today if it had come in at this point. Good news of the gospel isn't good news if there isn't some sort of bad news first. And oftentimes we like to cover up all the bad news, don't we, in our lives? How you doing? I'm fine. Please leave me alone. That's basically what that says. Um, you know, we like to have ourselves together. We like to make ourselves presentable. You see, God shows up to the lowly people. Not people who believe they have it all together and have no need for him. But God comes to the lowly, and that's the message of this, of this text. The Christian message is easily dismissed when our need is missed. The Christian message is easily dismissed when our need is met, missed. When we cover up our hurt, when we don't show and share our wounds, then it is not good news. The gospel message is not good news if you don't functionally believe that you need a savior. It's not good news. You have to acknowledge your sin and know you have it and know that the world isn't the way it's supposed to be. That we shouldn't have to turn, like fight. You, you want to sleep all day and then you go to bed at night and you can't sleep because you're anxious thinking about all the other things that, that you have to do. And then you feel so depressed, so down, so exhausted. You just can't get out of bed in the morning. And you just wish it would end. That's who the gospel comes to. That's to whom the gospel is good news. And it's for those people that can confess that and say that this is what I need. And so if we're going to understand to whom the gospel is good news, we need to look at the method, the message, and the messengers. The method, the message, and the messengers. I almost said method man, and that would have been weird. But the method. God's method for announcing the birth of his son, that heaven had come to earth, was two things. One, it was common. 
This was a common way of doing things, but in the second way, it was startling. So the first way, it was common. At that time, ancient Near Eastern kings or even Romans, they would, uh, they, they, they would practice having heralds would announce their arrival. You know, so we, we know about this. You know, you think about like medieval times, you see those guys with the horns with the little flags and they go, do, 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 do. Here comes King so-and-so, brave and noble, yada, yada, yada. But so we, what we do is we have heralds telling about a king coming in or a king coming to rule or a king coming to take over. So it was common for this to happen. But notice what is uncommon here. We have angels instead of people. We have heaven declaring this and not earth. It is not earthly. It is something radical because here we have heaven invading earth in the person of Jesus Christ. We see in the Old Testament, we see, um, we see even Solomon, he had a guild of trained musicians in 1 Chronicles 25. These musicians were trained to play in the presence of the one true king, the Lord. That is his choir. That is why we sing songs. You ever wonder why we sing songs? One is because regular speech doesn't work for God and that we have to get to the highest levels, which is singing. And in the temple in the Old Testament, the way they would sing was they were singing to this one true king. That is his throne room. And so what do you do? You sing to him. You have a choir. And there's a choir of angels that come because it is to image, the temple imaged what was going on in heaven. What was going on in heaven was imaged in the temple and it required musicians. And here, in a field... In the middle of Podunk, Israel, the veil is ripped open. Heaven and earth are suddenly in one place, and we see the glory of the Lord shine around. So what was common now has become startling. This is an invasion of heaven coming to earth, of what was lost in paradise coming back. And here it is, it's startling. Our scene of our text opens in a field, like I said, it's just just south of Jerusalem in Bethlehem. Here we see shepherds keeping watch over their flock at night while they fed. And here's an unexpected audience. It isn't kings or queens or military leaders. No, it was the riffraff, the outsider of the society. The kingdom breaks through and the first messengers are the people who are on the fringes of society. The unnoticed, the forgotten, the non-tweeted about, the non-Instagram. They're never going to go viral. They have no cultural cachet. They have no reputation. They are needy. They are hurting. They are the forgotten of society. And heaven opens to them. And here it gets more Scary, uh, and it's startling. Angelic interruptions was an indication that God was working in history in particular ways. Often when they show up, it is important, and history is about to turn. Uh, think like the second chapter of Joshua. A army of angels show up during the conquest of the promised land. Something, a new chapter, is happening. They're about to take over the promised land. That is scary. Uh, what that means is angels show up, And fiery judgment comes down so that the conquest of the land could happen. That gets scary. Let's get a little more scary. It says here, the Lord appeared to them. 
and the glory of the Lord shone around them. So we have great light shining into darkness. I don't know if you've ever been like a little kid, or no, if you have little kids, this is even better. Little kids, right? Whenever they turn on their like 3,000 lumen flashlight in the darkness right into your eyes, it burns your retinas out. All right, and you're like, what in the world is that? And they're like, I couldn't see in the dark. Like, well, I can't see in the light. I mean, come on, man. And so, you know, that is startling to us. Uh, one commentator made it just about God's radiant light. It's like, oh, it's the light. It's like this warm, fuzzy light. And I go, I don't know about you, but whenever God's what is known as His Shekinah glory, it's this radiant light shows up in the Old Testament. It is fearful. It is scary, okay? to which people cannot look at and be uh, overcome. Moreover, if there is light, there is going to be a flame somewhere. If there is light, there's going to be a flame somewhere. So much so in Exodus 34, God's people had sinned. Moses says, Lord, we can't live without you. You need to be with us. And then Moses, after he gets God to say, okay, I will go with you. The strangest thing happens. It was like this weird break. And Moses asks, "Uh, can I see your glory? God's response was very gracious. He says, "Um, you cannot see my glory and live. And so I will hide you in the cleft of the rock. And I will let all my glory pass before you. And you can see my hind parts. I don't know what that means. But here he goes. He puts him in the cleft of the rock. The glory of the Lord passes behind, before him. And he, it's this overwhelming experience for Moses. So much so when he gets off of the mountain, what, is, what does Moses appear? They have to put a bag over his head because he's shining bright. They're like, uh, get away from me, Moses. You're freaking me out. And so they put a bag over his head, basically. That is what is going on in, in this section. The glory of the Lord shines upon them, upon these shepherds. And so, of course, they're scared. Of course, they're scared. They're not worthy. They ain't got it together. Let's go further. Leviticus 10 tells of the story of Nadab and Abihu. Nadab and Abihu, they're sons of Aaron, and something strange happens. They get drunk. Well, that isn't strange. They get drunk, and then they go, and they bring an unauthorized sacrifice before the Lord. And then in the language of, the he- of Hebrew, it says this light shines, and they are consumed. The literal word is that they are eaten by fire. Anyone else, if you're in the middle of a field and the glory of the Lord shines upon you, you're like, oh crud. That's why the next words are like, don't be afraid. I bring you good news. You know? And so it's freaky. More than that, Isaiah 6. Isaiah is taken up into heaven. He sees the Lord. And we're talking angels have to cover their own faces as they are flying. And they're just singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. That's all they could do. And Isaiah sits there and sees the Lord and he says, Woe is me, I am undone. Literally, it's saying that he is being torn to shreds. Being torn to shreds. Genesis 3, when the people are taken out of, or when Adam and Eve are led out of the garden, there are two angels with the flaming swords of judgment placed there. Meaning if they were to enter in, 
the flames of God's judgment would fall down on them if they were to try to enter in through their own effort. God had to make a way. So it's startling. So the real king, the real peace, the real hope, the real paradise had come, but not to super religious people, but to these non-religious or irreligious people, these people who didn't go to church, these shepherds, and yet it is by God's grace that they weren't consumed. And in fact, the angel says, on earth to whom he is well pleased, he's pleased. The flaming sword of judgment didn't come down on them. It didn't consume them. But the people who would ignore Jesus, who would not listen, the people who, whom the flaming sword of judgment comes down on are those who try to enter in through their own effort, who think that they have it together. Those are the people who will reject Jesus because we think that we've got something to offer him. But the reverse is true. These shepherds show us the way. The method was all about the message. So we better pay attention. Notice the words. The glory of the Lord shone upon them. And then he says, the, the, the uh, writer says to him, or the, I'm sorry, it says, Fear not, for check it out. For behold, I bring you good news. Good news. At that moment, they're realizing all the bad news about them, all the darkness, all the sad things. And they need someone to come in and change everything about it. And so the method was about the message. The method was to highlight the message. Not take away or dress it up or to make it more palatable. It was to highlight the message. Heralds and messengers point, they are not the Savior. They're not the Savior. They are not the message. And so when they point to someone, they point to a little baby in a crib. They're saying, go there. You will see this. And then they call him. They call him uh, Lord. They call him Christ. They call him Savior. Savior, Christ, and Lord. The message means that God's glory, his value, his reputation is upheld. And it means peace on earth against this idea that the Romans had the Pax Romana. This is greater. This is bigger. Glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace among those whom he is well pleased. The judgment of God is satisfied and the earth receives what we all long for. Paradise. Hebrews says that Jesus is the radiance of his glory. So what it means, the message is Jesus. The message is Jesus. So we hear that the ceremonially unclean shepherds are seeing the very thing that Moses was denied. The glory of God in the face of Jesus. This is God's glory made public. In 2 Corinthians 3.18, Paul says this, And we all with unveiled face, we don't have a bag over our head, beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, from the Lord who is the Spirit. Jesus is the glory of God made approachable. Jesus is the glory of God made huggable. Jesus is the glory of God made vulnerable. Jesus is the glory of God made blamable. Jesus is the glory of God made killable for us. He can take the fiery sword of judgment. And so what do we do? 
You acknowledge your fear. You need to know that you should be fearful. Because good news can't be good news unless there is some, some sort of bad news. You need to confess that you're small, dependent, needy like these shepherds. And that Jesus, he is the true savior. That you can't save yourself based on your effort. He's the savior that saves you from your sins. As it says in Isaiah 53, for the sins of the people were lodged upon him or put upon him. It says that, Christ, that he is the Christ. He's the anointed king coming to reign. He is the king of heaven coming to bring the kingdom here onto earth. And that Jesus, this little babe, was the Lord. He was God himself coming to dwell with the people. And it says, glory to God in the highest. We all stand exposed. Um, There's a story of this singer who, she was a really good singer. But then when she realized that her opera singing um, idol who she loved was coming into town they asked hey would you sing for her she's like not a chance not a chance why because in comparison to the glory of the singer who was her idol who was wonderful who was known all around the world her singing seemed feeble and in the same way in the glory and the presence of the lord jesus christ all of our efforts All of our work, all of who we think we are, is feeble. We need to be undone. And so, that's the message though. Here's the good news. And he's come. It's made vulnerable. It's made accessible. And because of Jesus Christ, you will not be consumed. You will not be eaten by fire. Jesus is God's glory. Jesus is our peace. Jesus is the message. And it says that all who heard wondered. Wondered. But it stopped short of them believing. It wasn't good news to everybody. But to Mary, she needed this. It said that she treasured this. She valued it. Do you treasure and value the good news of the gospel? And then do you ponder it? Do you meditate upon it? Because day in and day out, you and I are going to have many things that cause us to doubt our standing in the world. And you need to ponder that Jesus Christ is good news. That he is your standing, he is your glory, he is your value. That because of Jesus Christ, God looks upon you and is not sneering and waiting to consume you and bring down the, the, the fiery sword of judgment on you, but rather that you could stand affirm because Jesus Christ has given you your approval. You're worthy, you're valuable, you're loved, you're noticed, you're cared for. And you can't have it any other way. So do you ponder it? Do you meditate on this good news in your heart day in and day out? Do you treasure it? Is it the thing that you use to combat all the lies in your life? It's this good news. But let's look at the messengers. The medium is not the message. But here we see shepherds. They receive this good news and they go out. They're the first people. They are not 
uh, put together. They don't have great social media presence. No, they come out and these are the models for those who receive good news. They are the ones who take the message. They are like uh, Martin Luther says, I am just a hungry beggar showing other hungry beggars where to find bread. They point to Jesus. That's what these messengers do. And they have no social standing. Charles Spurgeon says, if you feel undeserving of God's grace, then cheer up, you're very close to receiving it. Why? Because the truth is, is nothing you ever do makes you deserving of receiving God's grace. So what makes the difference between those like Mary who treasure and ponder and those who wondered and just didn't believe? It was need. Jesus would go on to say, it is not the healthy who needed doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but the sinners. I've come to call the sinners. When you come to Jesus, all you need is need. But in our Instagram filter age, it is exactly what so many of us lack. We like to cover it up. These were needy. The shepherds were social outcasts. Shepherds were looked down upon, even in the Bible. Amos 7.14 basically says, I'm going to go back to my meager life. Zephaniah 2.6 says the same thing, that shepherds are lowly. They were ceremonially unclean. They stunk all the time. They lived out in the fringes of society. They were not welcomed often. There's even, you can read about these reports that shepherds were like, they did not care about these people. And in fact, they used them as insults. You're a shepherd. They were insulted. They were probably the ones, though, who cared for the temple sacrifices. So all at once, while they looked down at the very face of God when they saw him, they might have known that also all the darkness in their hearts, all the judgment they deserved, all the wrath of God, all the terrible things of the world would be put on him, the Lamb of God. They got to see God's good news before everybody else. Lowly, needy people. And so what do we do? We must know and acknowledge our need We must acknowledge that maybe we are depressed. We've got lots of pain. Our family situation isn't right. We're exhausted. We're tired. We must know and acknowledge our outsiderness that we don't deserve heaven, that we don't need it, that we we can't force our way in. We must acknowledge that we can only have peace if we acknowledge our violence. We can know that we only can have light if we recognize that we're living in the darkness. So here's the deal. No more blame shifting. No more minimizing of our sin. No more self-aggrandizement to cover it up. No, we need to acknowledge our neediness. Not because, because only by acknowledging our, our brokenness will we find true healing. It seems to me that the moon of our selfishness, our self-righteousness, our unrepentance eclipses the sun from shining in our hearts. In this time of waiting, this time of Advent, I urge you to acknowledge and confess your need, your brokenness, and let the light of the gospel in the face of Jesus Christ shine in your heart. It is only Jesus who makes us acceptable. It is only on the one who would be slain for us. 
in whom all the darkness would get on and go to. It's only when we acknowledge that our darkness and the darkness of the world came on this radiant baby that he would grow and die for us, that the light of, the sh- of his goodness, of his gospel shines in our heart. See, Jesus' good news to those who acknowledge their need for good news, for those who scream out that no self-help book can get it done, no person, no exercise program, no Instagram post can fix the perplexing problem of the broken human heart. We need to confess that we are not the Christ, and only Jesus is. Only those crying out for healing, the peace of God, will find it in the face of Jesus Christ. William Cooper was a hymn writer. But first he started off as this romantic poet that loved nature and would write on a regular basis. He was heralded and loved. But there was deep darkness and sadness in his life. So dark and so deep that he tried to kill himself three times. He got to the lowest point in his life when he believed that the only way that he could be right with God and that he could have right standing in this world would be if he would sacrifice himself. And so he was institutionalized. He was hurting himself. And there were some friends came and got him and brought him to a place called Olney, where he had deep religious experience, where I believe he was met by God and the gospel, and the truth that he did not have to kill himself for all the darkness in his heart, but rather that the darkness of the world was laid on Jesus Christ. He'd met another hymn writer there named John Newton, who wrote Amazing Grace, and then William Cooper would go on to write numerous hymns in a collection called the Olney Hymns. He would go on to write and say light shining, a poem called Light Shining Out of Darkness where we get the phrase, God moves in a mysterious way, his wonders to perform. William Cooper needed healing, deep healing. And it can only be found in the person of Jesus Christ. And this world needs healing. It needs light in the darkness. And like William Cooper, and like the shepherds, the only thing we need when we come to Jesus Christ is need. And as William Cooper writes, his cry out is, Heal us, Emmanuel. We're waiting to feel thy touch and Jesus Christ coming in his birth and incarnation is heaven paradise coming to earth because the flaming sword of judgment was taken by him let us pray almighty and gracious God I pray that we would sing your goodness, sing your love. That in Jesus Christ we would see our need, that we would that you would show us our sin, our guilt. Lord, I pray that your light would shine on our shame, the places that we're afraid to go. Lord, help us to be broken before you.
So that the healing power of the gospel, that the person of Jesus Christ, the one who brings heaven and earth together, would mend our hearts and the brokenness and alienation we feel. Lord, meet us now. Help us to pray and to sing and then to enjoy your supper because you are the healing our hearts need. You are the light in the darkness. Help us like shepherds to call out to you. In Jesus' name, amen.